Well, I am glad to be with you for these nine weeks, especially for the same reason that Paul was looking forward to being at Rome. As, as he wrote to them from the city of Corinth, as he anticipated going there in chapter 1, here's what he says. He says, I'm anxious to come to you. I've, I've been longing. I wanted to come sooner, but I've been prevented. But here's why I want to come. Because I want to stir up the spiritual gift in each one of you. That's, that's the first reason. So I hope as we go through these nine studies, it's going to be a study more than a sermon. It's going to be not necessarily three points and here's what I think about it, but we're going to go through the text. And, and what should happen, what will happen if you really give yourself to it? And I would encourage you during these nine weeks, and it's going to be spread out, by the way, <laughs> through the end of March. So it's not going to be consecutive. I'll be with you three times in January, uh, two times in February, and then four times in March. So that will give you plenty of time to read over and over and over and over again Romans 1 through 8. And, and what that will do is that will stir you up spiritually. It will stir up the spiritual gift. And all of you have a spiritual gift. Sometimes churches think the only person with the gifts or the people with the gifts are the people that get up front. That's not true. Every one of you has a gift. In fact, this church at Rome didn't necessarily have a pastor. <laughs> it, was, it was a group, or maybe more than one group, and they met in homes. Where did they come from? They came from Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost. When, when Jewish men from all over the world had to go to Jerusalem, and there in Jerusalem they would celebrate the Feast of Shavuot, Pentecost. And, and so they were commanded to come. And remember in Acts 2 what happened. Peter preached that great sermon. And, and what happened? 5,000 men, so maybe 20,000 people, actually came to believe in Jesus the Messiah. And some of those Jewish believers went back to the city of Rome from whence they'd come. And they got back there and they started this little fellowship. And, and they met together regularly. And when they met together, they would, they would study, essentially, all that was at that all that was there at that time was, was the oral teaching of Jesus and the Old Testament. But they would study it together, and, and they, as they studied it together, they would stir each other's gift up. That's what should happen. It shouldn't be entertainment. It shouldn't be a show. It should be when the people of God come together, their gift is stirred up. What, what does that mean? It means you get excited about how God is going to use you. So Paul says, I want to come because I want to stir up your spiritual gift. And, and the, the beauty of us meeting together like this, that's what we automatically do for each other. I mean, one of the downsides of COVID is I, 
I'm sure you can stir up someone's gift on Zoom. So if you're out there on Zoom, I'm trying to stir up your gift as well. But, but it's, it's this face-to-face contact where we see one another animated and excited about what God is doing in us and through us. And then he says, and I want to bear some fruit. I want to, I want to capture some fruit from you. Well, what does that mean? It means, means I want to learn how to love more, how to have more joy, more peace. I want that fruit of the Spirit. It also means fruit, he's going to preach the gospel, and he's hoping that as he goes and preaches the gospel, that some people in Rome who have not yet come to believe in Jesus as the Messiah, that they also will come. And then, you know, fruit is also action. So he wants to, he wants to have the kind of fruit where people become active in the work of God. So, so that's his reason for coming there. That's my reason for being with you. People say, John, uh, are you retired? And I say, never. <laughs> Why? Because I have a lifetime calling. And, and I, love, I love the idea of stirring up people's gifts and see them go to work and serve the Lord and also of, of bearing fruit and of helping them to bear fruit. Well, that's the church at Rome. And the first 15 verses, I encourage you to read them. It's an introduction. It starts this way. It kind of goes, I'm just going to, I'm, I'm going to kind of cover uh, who, what, why, and for whom. So who's writing it? Paul. And here's how he introduced himself in verse 1. He says, I am a bond slave of Jesus. It's, it's interesting that he uses the word slave because lots of people in Rome could identify with that word slave. It's been estimated that half of the Roman Empire was made up of slaves. But they were forced to be slaves. Paul says, nobody's forcing me. I want to be the slave of Jesus Christ. That's his identity. When you and I understand our identity, you know, when I, when I came to Jesus Christ, it took me some time to figure this out, but when I came to Jesus Christ, I, real, I realized I gave up all my rights. I mean, I'm free. Here's, here's the freedom I have. I'm free from the, from the pull and, and, and the trappings of this world, of my own nature, of the devil, and of sin. I'm free from all that. I can say no. I never could say no before. But while I say no to the world, the flesh, and the devil, I say yes. As one man put it, he says, he says, whatever, he says the answer is yes to whatever God asks you to do. <laughs> That's it. The answer is yes. Would you do it? Yes. Absolutely. And, and he says later in in the uh, chapter, he says, he says, I'm under obligation to preach the gospel. And, and, then, he, and then he talks about that. He says, he says, I want to bring you the good news. It's good news. It's, it's good news. Why is it good news? Because all the problems that exist in the world can actually be taken care of by the message that I'm going to give to you. It's not just a ticket to heaven. 
If, if you will apply this good news to every question, to every part of your life, then you'll see your life will work out. And, and imagine if the whole world could actually embrace that great truth. Even, even COVID. The whole world could, this whole thing could be solved with the good news. But the good news means I have to accept the reality of what God says, who I am, and who I was intended to be. So he says, he says this is the good news. And he says, and this was told about in the scriptures. And again, I point out the fact that we're not talking about the New Testament. We're talking about the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there are 300 plus scriptures about a figure known as the Anointed One that we call the Messiah, or that we commonly say Christ or Christos. He's the Anointed One. He's not a way to live. He's not a philosophy to follow. He's not an example. He's not a great teacher. He is the Messiah. He is the answer to everything in life. And then he says, here's some unique things that you should know about him, Romans. To the Christians, to, he calls them the saints, by the way. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you're a saint. <laughs> Isn't that something? You're a saint. All the people of God, when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, just, just as uh, we heard this morning in the Scripture, we were transferred from one kingdom into another, from darkness into light, from sinners to saints. And, and he says, to you, Roman saints, this promised one, I want you to know something about him. There's a human side to him. There's a, he's, a, he's a real human being, 100% human, and he's also 100% God. In fact, his humanity comes from David. That was the promise, that the Messiah would be born through the line of David. And, and you read about that genealogy in the, in the Gospel of Luke. It's, it's Mary's genealogy, because Mary was a descendant of David. So, so it means that Jesus has the regal right to the throne through his mother, Mary. But then the next verse says, but he's also not just the son of David. He's the son of God. He's the son of God. And if you need proof that he's the son of God, he did something that no one else has ever done. He rose from the dead, never to die again. The resurrection proves that he is more than just a man, that he is God in the flesh. And, and, then, and then he he begins to tell them, I am really looking forward to coming and being with you for those reasons that I pointed out before. And then, uh, let's go ahead and put up on the screen. This is, I hope you memorize uh, verses 16 and 17. That'll be your challenge for the nine weeks, okay? Because this is the theme, this is the theme of the entire book. It's, it's one of my favorite verses. And, and, and he starts off this way, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. 
Have you ever been ashamed of the gospel? Have you ever been ashamed to be a Christian? Do you know, part of what the world wants to do, the world, the flesh, and the devil, is it wants to make you ashamed of the gospel. It really wants to make you ashamed. I, I had a, I, we built a couple houses in our life, and, and I, I usually got to be good friends with the builder. And I remember one builder I got really close to, and he said, I want to take you to lunch, and we went to lunch. And had a great time, great, you know, laughing, talking. And then, you know, I thought, this is a perfect time for me to share with Bill the gospel. And, and you know, in about the next 10 to 15 minutes, I laid out what I thought was the best presentation of the gospel I'd ever made. And he was listening. And at the end of it, he looked at me and he said, you don't believe that stuff, do you? Why? Because the world, the world, see, the world has its own solutions. The devil has his own solutions. They're actually lies and illusions. They make, they make false promises. They, they're built on false ideas. And so they hate the fact that the good news of God is actually the solution. And here's what Paul says. Look, I'm coming to a very sophisticated city, the city of Rome. You have a lot of intellectuals there. You have a lot of people in Rome that think they know how life works and, and how to fix things. He says, I want you to know, I've just come from Athens, and now I'm writing you from Corinth, and I'm looking forward to get, getting to Rome, because I've got good news that surpasses all of the wisdom of this world. So he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And again, I say it's good news. It's good news. It's the best news. It's the kind of news that, that if you will embrace the good news, people sometimes say, why doesn't God do something? And the answer is, he has. <laughs> he has, he is, and he shall. He's done something in the past about our situation. He's doing it now through his people. And someday it's all going to come to a climax with the second coming of his son. That's, that's the good news. See, the, the good news is that we're not floating through space. We're not lost. We're not hopeless. We have good news that we have a God who's on the throne. And he's going to take care of us. So I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power. The word power there is the same word we use for dynamite. <laughs> it is the explosive power of God. This good news is the power that God uses for what? It's the power of God for salvation. It's for salvation. Sometimes people will say to someone, are you saved? <laughs> That's the wrong question. You have to ask someone, instead of saying, are you saved? You say, are you justified? Why? Because salvation encompasses three things. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. And so, so here's the good news of the gospel. You can be justified 
then you can be sanctified, and sanctified simply means that you can become who you were meant to be. That's what sanctification is. God, God knows what he had in mind for you, and he can bring you to that place. And that's that, that's that in, internal working that's taking place every day in your life. You came to Christ, that's settled. You became a new creation in Christ. You never have to worry about that part of the equation again. Your sins, past, present, and future, have been taken care of. Now you are learning to put on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And only as you do that can you be the person that you were intended to be. And then, here's... I'm getting older. (laughs) You know what I hate about getting older? I'm not as fast as I used to be. I'm not... Here's the worst. I'm not as flexible as I used to be. I get tired. I sometimes fall asleep on the couch. I used to watch my father fall asleep on the couch and go, what are you doing? What's happening? You know, our body, our body grows old, grows weak, grows slow, grows inflexible. But you know what the promise is, the final promise is? And this is, this is the salvation. We're all going to get new bodies. I like what Ray Sedman says. He says, he says these bodies that we have, these are just our earth suits. <laughs> We're looking at each other's earth suit today. One of these days... We're going to look at each other, and each of us is going to be so glorious. C.S. Lewis says, he says, if you could meet who you're going to be on the street, you would be blown away by what you're going to become. So justification, sanctification. Then he says, it's, it's, not, it's not for everybody. It's available to everybody, but it's not for everybody. Who's it for? It's for everyone who believes. (laughs) And what is is that? It's faith. Faith. The first step in salvation is not putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's not the first step. The first step in, in coming to faith, those that come to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So I have to hear what God says. You can have eternal life through my son if you'll put your faith and trust in him. But to believe that, I have to believe that there is a God, even though I can't see him, and that I can trust the promises that he makes to me. And if you're sitting here today... (laughs) or you're listening, and you're a Christian, you, you decided first and foremost to believe in God and to believe that he would do what he says he's going to do. That's what faith is. To everyone who believes, and then, and then here's how the gospel spread out. This is why the, you know why the Jews were chosen? They were chosen to be the people of God, to give the truth of God to the world. 
And in Paul's ministry, wherever he goes, if he goes into a new city, the place he goes to first is the synagogue because they actually understand what he's talking about. They have some background in Scripture, in understanding the truth of God. Now let's go on to the next verse. Also to the Greek, the Greek there represents all the nations, all the Jews. Or I'm sorry, all the, all the Gentiles. So here's what the gospel does. In it, the righteousness of God is revealed. Now that word righteousness, you know, that sounds pretty <laughs> theological, doesn't it? Hey, let me tell you what righteousness is. There's two parts to righteousness. It means the elimination of sin, which is unrighteousness. And then it means, it means you, God looks at you through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And, and it, you know what psychiatrists call it? They call it worth and value. Everyone is looking for worth and value. Do you know that within the gospel, you will find your worth and value? Why? Because the God of the universe, who, who is so infinite, so powerful, who knows everything all the time, who created everything, you know what he says? You know what the gospel says? I love you. And I'm willing to give up my son so that you can have his righteousness. You, you, know, you know what we get when we accept Christ? We get credit for all of his obedience. <laughs> Isn't that something? Like, he lived a perfect life. So when he went to the cross, he took all of my imperfection, and, he, and, and I was credited with all of his righteousness, all of his obedience. For at the righteousness of God revealed from faith, for faith, so from faith, justification, for faith, sanctification, as it is written, the just, the righteous, shall live by faith. And that's, you'll find that verse, by the way, three places in the New Testament, and once in Habakkuk. And, it, and it's the truth of Scripture. The people of God are trusting in God through faith. They're believing what they can't see, but they're laying claim to the promises of God. So, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Then he launches into, and I call this, how rebels think. Here, here's what he does in the first, in the first um, uh, four chapters. He, actually in the first three, but, but, but in the first four chapters, he covers... Four different kinds of people. And, and what they're depending on, what they're counting on, how they're choosing to live in this world. So here they are. First, he introduces us to the rebel. The rebel comes first because the rebel is how we got into all this mess. <laughs> the first rebels were Adam and Eve. But there's been a long line of rebels since Adam and Eve. 
And, and here's, here's what rebels do. Rebels receive, they know the truth, but then they choose to turn away from it. And it happened in the garden. It happened after the flood. It happened throughout the Old Testament, throughout biblical history. It happens all around this world. And, and the truth was always there. Sometimes people say, um, what about the person that has never heard? Do you understand that there's no person that's ever been on this planet that doesn't have some, at some point in their history the truth? It may be as far back as Adam and Eve, or it may be as far back as Noah and his three sons. But, but the world did not start off in a dark way. It started off with light. And then it descended into darkness. That's what these verses are all about. And, and this, this, the fall in Genesis 3 has been repeated over and over again in history. It's, it's people who know the truth, and then as time goes by, they turn away from the truth. And as I said, it, it, you, you'll, see, you'll see, for instance, the gospel come to a country. It came to Europe. It came to Britain. It came to the United States. And then what happens over time? What happens over time? People turn away from it, right? And that's, that's what rebels do. They have the truth. It's not that they don't have the truth. It's that they have the truth, and they choose to turn away from it. We're in the, we're in the playoffs in football. Probably the best quarterback in the NFL this year is Aaron Rodgers. I'm sorry if you're not a Green Bay fan, you're a Packer fan, that's, or you're a Bears fan, that's okay. It has nothing to do with football. Do you know that he was raised in an evangelical home? And he has since renounced God. Basically, he says, I can't believe in a God that would send people to hell. The right answer, without going into it, is God doesn't send anyone to hell. People go to hell because they want to. And, and here's, here's how I know they want to. Because they reject the truth when it's presented to them. And, and they don't like the fact Here's what they don't like, mostly. They don't like the fact that God is God. That's really what people don't like. People say something like, they'll say, like, well, I can't believe that God chooses some people and doesn't choose others. And I say, do you have the right to choose? <laughs> do you? Do you have the right to choose God? Yes. Do you have the right to reject God? Yes. So you're going to give yourself more rights than God. So, so what Paul is describing here is how, how this darkness has descended in this world through Adam and Eve, through the descendants of Noah and his sons um, here in Plainfield. Everything, everything that, that I'm going to, we're going to read here in uh, Romans 1, 18 through the end, everything applies to the city of Chicago, to San Francisco, to New York, especially to Washington, D.C. All these things apply. It's, it's people who have been... And, and, 
It doesn't matter if it's the inner city or the inner jungle. There are rebels. You will find rebels wherever you go. So let's do a quick read. Go ahead and put up 18. Let's read this. I'll go along and then we'll come back. And I'm going to tell you from these verses how rebels think, okay? For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. See that word wrath there? Don't take that as road rage. It's not that kind of wrath. It's not God striking lightning bolts on the, down on the planet. It's not God being out of control, angry. It's not cataclysmic wrath. This, this, is, this is a steadfast, settled resistance to evil. Do you know, here, here's what people believe. They believe that if I disobey long enough, then it will become acceptable. <laughs> right? And they think that, and, and it happens. You know, your parents tell their kids, clean your room, and the kids, you know, slowly, slowly, slowly stop cleaning their room one piece at a time. And finally, the parents are like, it's too much trouble. Right? Think about all the changes in the last 50 years in this country of practices that would have been abhorrent 50 years ago. And now, it's the way things are. Well, that's just, everybody's doing it. So, so here's what people, here's what the rebel thinks. If I can do this long enough, then eventually God's got to accept it because so many people will be doing it. I talked to the kids this morning about the immutability of God. I got news for you. You cannot wear God down. And here's another thing. Sin never ends well. Ever. Never. It never ends well. No matter what you think, it never ends well. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. See, that's what they, they do. They suppress the truth because they are unrighteous, and their unrighteousness is practiced over and over and over again. And, and eventually people say, well, I guess that must be true. And God says, no, it's not. I don't care how many people are doing it. But they try to hold back the truth of God with their unrighteous practice. Let's go ahead. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. You find in Romans chapter 2, verse 15, he's put the conscience in us so that we have a sense of right and wrong. You know, gangsters, gangsters, mafia, they have some code of right and wrong. Do you know that? Like it's inside of us. Ecclesiastes says God has set eternity in the hearts of men. You can't get away. <laughs> you, here's, here's what's funny to me. People will excuse their own breaking of the law, and they'll get really upset with someone who takes advantage of them. That's, that's that internal witness. It's plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. He's shown it inside. Go ahead. He's not only shown it inside, 
for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in things that have been made so they are without excuse. I wish I had time to go into a defense of the creation of the universe by God. But there's enough sources out there for you to do it. Here's, here's what the world, and, and the biggest lie that has been foisted on modern man is evolution. It's the biggest lie ever foisted, and it has been embraced as science by, by the elitist thinkers of our world. And here's what it amounts to. No one plus nothing equals everything. That's what evolution teaches. Not, not just that God didn't create all living things, including humanity, but God didn't make the universe. God didn't make the world. It all happened by random. It happened by accident. You have to be educated to be that stupid. You have to be educated into that because that won't work in anything that you, that you try in the rest of your life. So, his invisible attributes. What, what, what are we talking about? His power. You can see the effect of his power, but you can't see his power. Just like you can't see him. But you, you know, like the wind blows, you know it's him. And divine nature been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they are without excuse. <sighs> Wish I had time to go into this. Maybe I'll do it in another message, but I won't. No. Go ahead. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So you see the downward spiral? See, once, once you move away from the truth of God, it's downhill after that. Keep going. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the mortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, they used to make them out of wood and stone. Now they make them out of ideas. The Green New Deal. See, this is, this is what people are trying to convince themselves of right now. We can save the planet. <laughs> I got news for you. God's going to take care of the planet. Now, that doesn't mean that I should throw my garbage out in the street. That I shouldn't contribute to not making things worse. But do you understand, this is a world not only made by God, but maintained by God. I guarantee you, you don't have to worry about polar ice caps and, and flooding of the earth. I guarantee it. God already promised he won't destroy the world with water ever again. The world is going to be destroyed again, by the way. 2 Peter chapter 3, by fire. And the elements will melt. And out of that, God's going to create new heavens and new earth. And by the way, he's going to do it by the word of his mouth, and he's going to do it instantaneously. Maybe six days. But when you look at that new heaven and new earth, you're going to think it's been around for a billion years. Why? Because God creates by the word of his mouth, you see. Therefore, God gave them up. What does that mean? Number one, 
he, he stopped restraining them from doing what they were doing. Go ahead. <laughs> it's the story of the prodigal son. Go ahead. You want to you do that? Go ahead. But, but, you will also receive the consequences for your thinking and your behavior. Keep going. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a uh, lie and worshiped and served the creator rather than the, the creature, rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Keep going. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. So one of the first areas of human life that's affected when we turn away from God is our sexuality. By the way, people say, why always sexuality? Is, is that the worst kind? No, sexuality is not the worst kind of sin. Sexual sin is sin against the body, and it's dishonorable. But it's not the worst kind of sin. The worst kind of sin is self-righteousness. Exploiting other people. Greed, taking advantage of others. It's described at the end of the chapter. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. So you see, the, you see how the, the descent here? Keep going. They were filled with all manner of, of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. See how that gets thrown in? Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. And though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. They have to give approval to those who practice them. Otherwise, they'll know they're wrong. Now, let me close. I'm going to close with some rebel thoughts, okay? So I'm I'm going to take those verses from verses 18 through 32, and I'm going to direct you as a counter to rebel thoughts. Here's the first couple rebel thoughts. I don't need a Savior. I don't need a Savior. See, this whole section of Scripture is, is a demonstration of the fact that you and I need a Savior. Here's a, here's a corollary to that. I have nothing against God, even though I'm not sure I believe in him. I just want to do what I want to do, and I don't want the consequences for somebody else's rules. Any of you see the movie Knives Out? Great movie, right? But the, uh, the main character, the grandfather, the father, he had a cup, coffee cup. It said, my house, my rules, my coffee. God's got that same cup. <laughs> my world, my rules, everything's mine. So, so you may not like his rules, you may not even believe in his rules, but that doesn't change the fact that he is and he's in charge. 
for, for the next one, and this, the answer, by the way, for that first one is verses 18 through 20. The next one is, the, this is the individual from verses 21 and 22 who thinks they can do whatever they want, and, and in a real sense, they are God. Do you remember the poem written in the 19th century? It's been quoted a lot in our modern world. It's called Invictus. Let me just read you three parts of the four-part poem. This is Henley, and he writes, Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the, in the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody but unbowed. And then here's the kicker. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And, and here's what Paul is saying. No, you're not. <laughs> no, you're not. And God's wrath, his willingness to resist you and, and to give you the consequences, and, and all the consequences show up at the end of chapter 1. This is what happens as you make your way down that downward spiral. Here's three more. I prefer a God that's visible, one that I can control, like the environment. See, that's the whole lie of the Green New Deal, is that somehow we can save the planet. Again, I'm not against, I'm not against being good stewards. We're supposed to be good stewards. We're gardeners. We're supposed to take care of this planet. But we're not in charge of the planet. Now, the answer to that is in verse 23. Two more. Love is love. Why can't I have sex with who and when I want to? After all, it's just sex. Well, God has some very stringent rules about sex, and let me tell you why. Why it is so important. The closest thing in relationship, human to human, to worship is sex. Again, Ray Steadman, you know what he calls sex? The urge to merge. The urge to merge. Do you know what true worship is? If you really experience true worship, you know what you want? And this is C.S. Lewis as well. You not only want to see God, you want to merge with God. There's this deep longing to know and be known by God. So it's not just sex. Finally, why is the world so messed up? Why is the world so messed up? Romans 1, 18 through 32. As you descend deeper and deeper into darkness, here's what happens. When we turn away from God as an individual, as a culture, as a country, as a world, the descent into darkness, it just gets darker. Well, <laughs> that's how rebels think. That's how rebels think. Aren't you glad you're not a rebel? I hope you're not a rebel. I hope you don't embrace the lies of the evil one. The evil one wants to trap you and hold you in prison by telling you that you can be free if you'll do whatever you want. Paul called himself a slave. That's what we are. We were made to serve, and we were made to serve one person, and that's the Lord God himself. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your truth, Lord. Thank you that you, you delivered us from our rebellious ways and our rebellious hearts. Lord, we, uh, we know that you resist evil. You're not going to give into it. You're not going to change because we want to do what we want to do. I pray, Lord, that, that even as we teach this, that people will be able to talk to friends and neighbors and clarify, cut through the lies of this world. We thank you, Lord, that we walk in the light. And now we hate sin. We don't hate sinners, but we hate sin. And we hate especially the sin in us. So cleanse us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.